This is a production of Women's Voices, a volunteer organization recording women's speeches, essays, and literary texts for the purpose of education and broader access to the public. For more information, visit womens-voices.org. Hello, my name is Jo Bartosz, and I'm a feminist campaigner and writer. I'm director of the campaign group Click Off. I've called this talk Mind Your Own Business. A few years ago, I came up with the term knobjective, a word to describe the sense that most men have that their experience is the default, that they are truly objective. And it came to me after one of those interminable online conversations. I suspect everyone listening will know the form. A man felt it was his duty to explain to me why a preference for frilly pants is more indicative of womanhood than my vulva. And in a way, it doesn't matter what the subject is. Men are trained to see their experience as universal. And whether that's passing the legislation upon which civil society rests or coding the new reality of the digital world. The objective worldview creates a hostile environment for women. Technology is spoken about in hallowed tones, as a force that disrupts power relations, democratises information and revolutionises commerce. But in essence, the digital world as it exists today is just a reflection of the status quo. And in this talk, I will argue that objective technology entrenches male dominance. Dr. Richard Bartle, now Professor of Computer Games at the University of Essex, was one of the first people to develop a digital world. This was the multi-user dungeon, or MUD. In an interview for the BBC, Dr. Bartle explained that the computing pioneers of 40 years ago, and indeed those of today, had a shared set of what he terms liberal and open-minded beliefs. He recalled, When you get people with the same worldview, attracted to the same technology in the same places, well, it isn't a case of the culture develops around them, it's a case of they all got there because they have the same culture. Looking at the real-world profiles of those who dominated computing at this time, it is clear that by people, Bartle means men. Their shared values and, crucially, blind spots have created the ideal conditions for the sex industry to flourish online. From so-called sugar daddy dating apps, where rich older men pay for the company and often sexual favours of young hard-up women, to streamed online abuse to order. What was once the preserve of red light districts has been put into each of our hands in the form of the mobile phone. In my view, it isn't a cabal of CDR patriarchs sitting around plotting how to get one over on those uppity women. It's more that their collective and objective worldview makes harm to women inevitable. There have, of course, always been so-called moral panics about technology. Indeed, around 2,400 years ago, Plato warned that writing would undermine the human memory. And maybe he was right. But at least when something is written down, it's passive, open to interpretation, and indeed to challenge. 
What makes the digital world more concerning is that in many senses it captures and massages our opinions through opaque algorithms that, quite literally, in the case of Facebook, trace our likes and dislikes. In the digital world, humans are reduced to a set of data points, which are quickly analysed and sold to advertising companies. Essentially, the very fabric of what makes us each unique has been opened up as a rich seam for those wishing to make a profit. Our minds have been monetized, mined and digitally detached from our material existence. When signing up to Facebook, Twitter, Tumblr or Instagram, most of us fail to read the small print of the digital social contract. Interestingly, many of the architects of the best-known sites themselves abstain from using such platforms. In a 2018 speech, Sean Parker, the founding president of Facebook, was clear that social media is designed to be addictive, to give a dopamine hit with each click. He explained, It's a social validation feedback loop, essentially the kind of thing that a hacker like myself would come up with, because you're exploiting a vulnerability in human psychology. The inventors, the creators, understood this consciously, and we did it anyway. It is known that use of social media has real physiological effects on the brain. When a sexual element is added, as in the case of pornography, the results are personally devastating for women and catastrophic for society. It is known that masturbating to pornography triggers a neurochemical rush that is addictive. Pornography rewires the brain's reward system so that it is no longer being triggered by, for example, the feel of another person's skin or even by sex, but by pornography itself. A growing body of compelling research suggests that users become desensitised alarmingly quickly, turning into what researcher Pascal Emmanuel Gobry refers to as novelty-seeking machines. It is necessary, in order to sustain sexual arousal, that content must shock the user, hence the rise in extreme pornography and child abuse and bestiality. For pornography users, the progression towards breaking taboos is inevitable because shock itself is stimulating. And there is evidence that this shapes attitudes and behaviour, not just in that it normalises the most extreme forms of misogyny, but also because it causes brain damage. Now this sounds alarmist, but there is sound research to back it up. Newer imaging studies have shown that addicts develop hypnofrontality, a technical term for an impaired frontal cortex. The frontal cortex is responsible for our executive function, our decision-making faculties, and crucially, it impacts on the ability to control impulses. The studies underlying these findings were conducted on adults, and I believe the impact of high-speed, hardcore pornography on the developing brains of children is beginning to be seen in today's young adults. Addiction to the digital world in all its forms has left those who have come of age online detached from their bodies and from one another. Leaving aside the trauma caused by exposure to pornography, the normal processes of making sense of the world and forming a stable sense of self have been disrupted. There is no longer space to thrash out ideas or experiment with belief without censure and scrutiny. Unable to escape into a truly private space and with a record of their every blunder, is it a surprise that young adults are often desperate to show their tribal affiliations online and absorbed by a mania to silence those who threaten their sense of themselves? 
to the men of the intellectual dark web, this so-called cancel culture is blamed on feminised teaching, overprotective mothers and left-wingers in academia. To my mind, it seems far more likely that the censorious behaviour of the i-generation is due to a crisis in confidence caused by the monetized mind-body split. And there is clear evidence that young people are suffering. As psychologist Professor Twenge explains, more US adolescents and young adults in the late 2010s versus the mid-2000s experienced serious psychological distress, major depression or suicidal thoughts, and more attempted suicide. These trends are weak or non-existent among adults 26 years and over, suggesting a generational shift in mood disorders instead of an overall increase across all ages. It seems more than coincidental to me that those under 26 were born shortly before the iPhone and high-speed internet. I believe this generation have been literally brain-damaged by exposure to the digital world. And the reality of these psychological and social harms is of course belied by the straplines of man-made social media sites, all of which emphasise openness and connectivity. Even the pornography giant Pornhub likes to advertise itself as bringing a worldwide community together. But make no mistake, the digital world severs our connections with one another. And how humans deal with this is most powerfully illustrated by the ways men and women now express sexuality. My approach is feminist, so I will address the impact on women and girls. I spoke to a young woman who wanted to be known as Ginger, a young lesbian feminist who is recovering from a heroin addiction. Ginger has performed online on the platform OnlyFans to make money. Just to explain, OnlyFans is a newish UK platform where users can pay to see content, most of it pornographic. And Ginger is a really clever woman, and she recognised that her choice was not freely made. She told me, There's so much competition, women need to be doing more extreme things. The massive emphasis on looks means that they are editing themselves to be unrecognisable. The women advertise themselves like products. And this is borne out in the advertising copy the women write on their OnlyFans accounts, where they explicitly put a price on the intimacy of their everyday lives. And I'll read out a couple of these descriptions. This will be a platform for my amazing fans who want to know me on a personal level. The public will not be able to find this content on any other social accounts. It will be raw, it will be real, and it will be unedited. I like to call it Caitlin's reality show. And come and see the more personal side of me. Exclusive content you won't find anywhere else posted daily. Keep checking your inbox for even sexier pictures and videos. On UK sites like OnlyFans, it is no longer possible to point to an external pimp or a trafficker. Men own the means of production, the platforms on which women sell themselves, but effectively those who profit financially are also the products, the women and girls themselves. And it is impossible to tell whether performers have been forced or coerced, but it seems likely that for the most part there is an element of choice, albeit from a paucity of options, none of which work in women's interests. Many women and girls who perform have so absorbed the misogyny of the digital world they are disconnected from their own sense of sexuality. In effect, they are their own pimps. And it is well known that the splitting of mind from body is a response to trauma, one that is very common amongst women learning to cope with the abuses of prostitution. And it could be argued that the objective reality 
of the digital world has made this a normal state of being, and to some extent, we all now sell our digital selves as products. Ginger explains more about what keeps women selling on OnlyFans. She says, They learn to rely on the approval of men to boost how they feel about themselves. That's all they need after a while. We're taught so much to rely on male approval that it is a boost to know that men find you attractive enough to buy your nudes, even if you aren't attracted to them. That's the kind of behaviour that becomes addictive and makes women do more and more extreme things. And sites like OnlyFan aren't niche, they're very mainstream. Over the first few weeks of lockdown, an additional 1.85 million new accounts were set up on the platform. Before lockdown on any given day in the UK, there were over 7,000 people on Twitter driving traffic to the OnlyFans platform. An estimated 2,545 of these were 17 and under. This is effectively the grooming of children on a massive scale. In a BBC documentary, an OnlyFans performer referred to as Sasha explains how she was drawn into the sex industry. Sasha sent images of herself to a boy at school in the belief that it would make her popular and that in her words, maybe he'd fall in love with me or something stupid. The boy shared the images across the school and in a bid to take control, she took more of herself. Rationalising that she might as well get paid, Sasha described that OnlyFans was for her a way to kind of like say fuck you to all the guys who had hurt her. At the time of filming, Sasha was making just enough to scrape by and was waiting for emergency accommodation from her local council. She described progressing from Snapchat to OnlyFans to escorting and then prostitution. And it seems there is now a digital conveyor belt into the sex industry. And pornography sites where women and girls prostitute themselves pose a problem for feminists. As it isn't possible to point the finger at an abusive man, but rather at a disembodied, non-objective system. Effectively, the abuser has reached through the medium of the digital world into the minds of young women. It seems likely that, as with other practices which are based on vying for male approval, such as wearing makeup or wearing body hair, creating pornography will soon become a cultural staple, a normal part of sexual expression for women. And an area which I don't have time to explore, but one that I believe is fundamentally linked to the loss of intimacy and the growth of technology, is fetish. And in many ways, the use of the internet to facilitate an orgasm is itself a fetish, because the device, whether a phone or a laptop or a virtual reality headset, is a proxy for mutual sexual enjoyment. Lockdown has been a technologist's wet dream. Deprived of intimacy and human contact, people have turned online. Arguably, it has accelerated the changes that were already beginning to take hold. In the early patriarchal civilizations, women were regarded as chattels, and the public sphere was off-limits. In many respects, this is true of today's digital world. Women exist online as products to be assessed and bought by male consumers. Those who dare to express opinions cannot fail to be aware that they are doing so in a man's world, where the objective worldview of the male creators rules supreme. One of the earliest 
written laws from the Middle East decreed, if a woman speaks out of turn, then her teeth will be smashed by a brick. This bears a striking resemblance to today's threats towards women who challenge male power online, who are routinely told to die in a fire, or they are simply deleted. Indeed, this happened to over 60,000 feminist Reddit users earlier this week. Their community was wiped out without warning. Those dedicated to discussing the abuse of women and rape remain live. Women exist in the brave new world of the technocrats at the sufferance of its male creators and their objective worldview. In the near future, there will be very few people who remember life before the digital realm captured our minds. The idea that sex should be private and about intimacy and shared pleasure is already becoming a quaint anachronism from a bygone age. This has been a production of Women's Voices. For more information, or to submit an audio recording of an essay, speech, lecture, or excerpt from a written work, please visit womens-voices.org.